I have to tell you that, as you already know, I'm, I am not a pastor. I am actually better as a writer than I am as a speaker, but I'm willing to speak the things that God uh, lays on my heart, but it's still a super uncomfortable feeling uh, to do that. It's, it's, it's not, I wouldn't call it fun, actually. Um, but it is always neat how God um, is willing to give us confirmations because um, every single song that our worship team led us in today could have been used. I was asked to pick a song for the end. It could have actually been used for our finishing song because they epitomize the message that I believe God laid on my heart to share with you. And because I'm far better at writing, and I don't know if I'm, is it okay with the way I have that? Because I'm far better at writing than I am at um, speaking off the cuff, forgive me that I will rely on my strength and pretty much read to you what I've written to share with you. A couple of months ago, Pastor Dan, as he was preparing for his summer sabbatical, asked me if I would be willing to share a message with you today on this particular day. I've never been asked to bring a Sunday message before, so I wanted to take a few days first to ask God if this invitation to speak was truly from him. Did he really have a message he wanted me to share with you? Well, the message I believe God wants me to share with you today is a message that we're actually all asked to share. In fact, it's a message that Moses first instructed the Israelites to share but the choice was theirs and is ours today to obey these instructions or not. It is always interesting when God presents assignments to us that move us outside of our wheelhouses, just over the line of comfort, bringing us into unfamiliar territory that requires us to stop in our tracks, to remember to take careful note of what God is saying to us, and to intently fix our eyes and our ears on the one who is inviting us to hold his hand as he leads the way. Isn't that just like God? He knows exactly how to get our attention, how to move us into new territory so we'll go to the places that he has prepared for us, to take us outside of our comfort zones so that we can be given first-hand experiences of his faithfulness and his goodness. That's how I feel this morning, being asked to share today's message, and I think that's how the nation of Israel felt as God was leading them into the new land he had promised them. The instructions Moses gave to Israel are recorded in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. A primary purpose of all 34 chapters of Deuteronomy is to remind the Israelites of all that God has done for them. Furthermore, Moses repeatedly points out how their firsthand knowledge of all that God has done right before their very eyes should absolutely compel them to obey their incredibly good God who has been so faithful to them. And it should naturally result in their deepest desire to love him above all else. Interestingly, though, even though they had seen God's mighty works performed right before their very own eyes, God's beloved people still somehow needed to be reminded to love and obey him. Well, we too are like Israel and need those same reminders 
because the landscape of the territory we've also been sent into can be so, so slippery. Before we begin reading from Deuteronomy 11, there are two things to consider that will help us understand the breadth of what God is saying through Moses. First, we need to remember that truths or reliable principles in life are always true and completely reliable because they're based on truth. A truth is a firm principle that God established when he created his treasured world, a principle that cannot be altered. Truth is not only true because to those who believe it, but it's true for every single person, even for those who aren't aware of that truth or who may even deny it. Truth is completely reliable because truth reflects God, who is the author of all that is true. You'll see in today's passage that Moses presents blessings and curses to the people of Israel. Following and embracing the truth, however, is not about merely applying a formula for receiving God's blessings. If truth were just a formula to be followed or applied, then life would be entirely about our works, our ability and willingness to apply God's formulas to our circumstances, to get what we want or to avoid what we don't want. In other words, it would reduce truth to one's ability to manipulate God if truth were merely a formula. However, I believe we would all agree here that God cannot be manipulated by us. Nonetheless, I confess that I know what it's like to find myself applying God's truths in Deuteronomy 11 as though they were formulas. And I believe the enemy loves when we do that. He so wants us to misapply God's word so that we can conclude that God's word must not be really reliable. Isn't that what he pointed out to Eve in the Garden of Eden? The devil is such a liar and deceiver. I hope to share with you today how this passage in Deuteronomy is less about a formula, what the devil would have us all believe, and much more about truth, God's reliable and loving truth. Second, as we prepare to read Deuteronomy 11, consider with me for a moment, and I'm going to pause, I want you to think, what you are teaching others, like right this very minute, what are you teaching others? What am I teaching others by my actions right this minute? And who am I teaching? Your actions and mine reflect our deepest values. Our actions are always a reflection of what we value and hold dear to us. As I pointed out to the children just a few minutes ago, they will all grow up to be teachers. You and I are all teachers. Do we realize what we're teaching though? Are we always teaching what we mean to be teaching? Are we even aware of the fact that we are teaching? Let's begin to read Deuteronomy 11. I'm using the New International Version, and so that I didn't stumble over myself, I actually printed it right here, but it's, you can take your pew Bible. Deuteronomy 11. Moses writes in verses 1 through 7, Love the Lord your God, and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws and his commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God. 
his majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, the signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country, what he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the wilderness until you arrived at this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab the Reubenite, when the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of all Israel and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things the Lord has done. Who does Moses say in verse 2 that he's addressing? He's addressing those who have seen God's faithful hand at work, not their children or those who have not yet seen it for themselves. The message in this passage is specifically for those who know God and who have seen for themselves his wondrous works, his discipline, his provision, his greatness, his power, his ability to perform miracles, and his protection. Verse 7 says, For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. If you have witnessed firsthand God's faithfulness, then this message is also meant for you. If you haven't yet witnessed God's faithfulness firsthand, then we're here to tell you what we've seen, and it's pretty amazing. Moses then goes on to tell those who have seen God's goodness firsthand, picking up in verse 8, Observe therefore all the commands I am giving you today so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, and so that you may live long in the land the Lord swore to your ancestors to give to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt, from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by by foot as in a vegetable garden, But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. Because these people being addressed in Deuteronomy had already personally witnessed God's incredibly good character, Moses points out that they ought to naturally be compelled to want to keep God's commandments. It only makes sense, right? If God is that good, why in the world would they not want to follow him wholeheartedly? However, Moses points out that not everyone they will encounter as they enter the land God has given to them not even their own children who do not yet know firsthand the power and faithfulness of God, will be convinced that this God even exists. Israel is being told that they have a responsibility, therefore, to teach those who do not yet know for themselves that God is God 
and that he is an amazing and faithful God who has done wondrous things that they have seen with their very own eyes. Since their eyes have seen, now their actions and words must proclaim the truth of what they know to be true of God. And the same applies to us. In addition to the recounting of God's miraculous provision to Israel found in verses 2 through 7, we must take note of all the wondrous things we have personally witnessed firsthand of God's faithfulness. When is the last time you listed God's faithfulness to you with specific examples of his wondrous works? Are you ready to tell others about them? I have almost 57 years of personal examples of God's faithfulness to retell, but it's so easy to allow the hard times, the challenges that even, or maybe particularly, God's people face in the land we've been sent into, that we forget to take stock of God's incredible goodness. In addition to God's recorded faithfulness seen throughout the pages of the Bible, I can tell you firsthand firsthand that God knows how to give us strength when we are certain we have none left. He has shown favor to me when I did not deserve it. He spoke his intimate love to me at an early age through the wonderful parents he chose for me. He opened doors for me that I'm telling you I could not have opened myself. His spirit prevented me from walking in directions I would have been willing to walk sometimes even run, so that he could take me to better places and higher ground. He has cried with me and kissed me with sweet, endearing blessings when I have faced disappointment and hurt. He has trusted me with gifts that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt were not of my own doing. He has provided me with opportunities to ask for forgiveness when I've made mistakes, and he has enabled me to, forgive for, to extend forgiveness when I thought I simply could not. That's just a tiny, very surface list of God's faithfulness that I have witnessed firsthand. God is so, so good. I know I do not have the words to describe the depth of his goodness, and you probably say the same, but I am compelled to try. I must try, you must try, and we must try together. Moses then proceeds to lay before Israel the choice that lies before them and before us. He says, picking back up in verse 13, So if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut up the heavens, so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates 
so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. If you carefully observe these commands I am giving you to follow the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he promised you, will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land wherever you go. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. In this passage, Moses has laid before Israel the choices we all have as God's people. Yes, we each have a personal choice, and we corporately have a choice. Once we have seen for ourselves what God has done for us, we can choose to love the Lord our God and to serve him with all our heart, or we can take credit for God's provision ourselves, or ignore what we've seen and turn our heads away and follow other gods, which God points out in verse 28 will assuredly deceive us and lure us away to follow other gods still, which we have not known. I think that as God's people, or as people in general, we tend to find it easier to apply formulas to our own lives and to the lives of others than to truly grapple with truths because we can mindlessly follow or reject formulas when they suit us. But confronting truths requires significant engagement on our behalves. It requires work and commitment. I personally have often misunderstood what God's promised blessings look like. I have often thought that if I seek to make all the right decisions and I work hard to tell others about God's faithfulness, then the blessing or the result of following that formula is that those with whom I share will also naturally embrace those truths and will also love God with their whole heart and mind and soul. But that's not actually what is promised here in Deuteronomy 11. Yes, we are instructed to obey God out of a heart that loves him above all else by joyfully telling others of his faithfulness. However, each person we encounter in the land into which we have been sent also gets to make the same choices presented to us. We are never responsible for results with God, only for our obedience. God always, always gets all the credit for the results of our obedience. That also means that we're not actually failures when the results we expected or deeply hoped for in another person's life are not the results of the truth that we may have unwittingly misapplied as a formula. We're simply responsible for being faithful to God and lovingly sharing his goodness with others because we love God, not so that we can get a particular result but those with whom we share still get to choose how they will respond. 
According to Deuteronomy 11, I am responsible for my actions and the messages that my actions are teaching others around me because we are always being observed and heard by those around us. Like it or not, we are all teachers. I'm actively teaching every moment of my life. We all are. You are. We were all made in God's image to be teachers of those watching us, whether we are aware and intentional or not. Verses 18 through 22 are often read as the way to impress upon our own children, our biological children, the good things that we're to teach them. I believe Moses is not only talking about our biological children here, but also about our spiritual children, those people across the land who have not yet seen God's faithfulness for themselves. We should remember that the words we teach must align with what we believe and what we value, because what others observe us doing are the very things that they learn from us. Our actions truly speak louder than our words. That's because our actions are the result of what we believe and value, and they, and they are indeed the things that we lay in our hearts and souls, the things we bind on our hands. They are, as the frontlets between our eyes, the things upon which our minds dwell. They are the things that our actions, they are things that our actions teach our children when we are talking to them or around them. They are the things our children watch us choosing to do when we live life alongside them. They are not just the things we intentionally and formally impart to them, but they are also, perhaps even more significantly, the things we unintentionally teach them when we're not even thinking about our teaching roles. What are others learning from you right now? What will they be learning from you an hour or two from now, in a day or two, when you're living life alongside those you encounter? Can I control what others will learn from me? Certainly not entirely. Can I control how they will apply what they will learn from me? No, I cannot. That is not my responsibility. Are God's promised blessings proven unreliable when someone learning from me decides to reject what I'm teaching through my words and actions? Absolutely not. His promised blessings are always reliable and trustworthy. They are truth. We just need to know the kinds of blessings we are actually promised when we obey him. We must remember that God's promised truth that blessings come with obedience is not a formula for getting blessings if and when we want them. The truth is simply that there are blessings that come with doing things God's way, and there are curses that come with doing things our own way. God designed the way to blessings, and he is gracious enough to tell us the way. And we can love him for that, or we can push him away. We each get to choose our response. As a people who have seen God's faithfulness firsthand, we are compelled to obey him. We love God with our heart, mind, and soul, and we want to obey him. We want our children, all who have not yet seen God's faithfulness firsthand, to have that same relationship with the God of the universe who makes himself known to anyone who seeks him. But we must be patient and rest on God's present blessings of peace 
and trust and hope. Not mere wishful thinking, but absolute confidence that God will be faithful to use our obedience to bring about the results for which only he is responsible. Our children, the people in the world who have not yet known you personally, need us, God personally need to hear from our lips and see from our actions that God is entirely worthy of our love and service, that God alone is able to bless us in the end, that a life apart from him is purely deception and ultimately results in curses. We must remember that we are all teachers by God's design. We are constantly teaching others what is in our hearts and minds, which is revealed through the product of our hands and conversations, as God says in verse 18 that we just read. We're teaching others around us through the words we speak when we're talking with others, sitting at home or when we're walking along the road or at the mall, as we saw or heard in verse 19. We're teaching what is important to us when we lie down and when we get up, when we live life. Those who come into our homes will learn and see and hear all types of messages from us. That's what it says in verse 20. Are we teaching the things that will point the way to a faithful and loving God who created truth because we are absolutely compelled to lift his name on high? We don't obey God's rules so that we can get his blessings. Instead, we desire to follow God's way because we absolutely love him and cannot imagine doing anything that would appear as though we were choosing to follow after other gods who simply cannot satisfy. There's even more great news too. Even though we desire to obey God because his works are so great, we know that we are simply don't have the ability in ourselves to obey God as we ought. And thanks be to God, Jesus has made the perfect provision for that. Amen. As we get ready to sing our closing worship song, think about um, that role that we have as teachers and our job as believers. We have seen God's faithfulness to us. Our job is to proclaim his goodness to others. Let's consider how great our God is, how great are the works of his mighty hands that we have witnessed firsthand. Lord, give us boldness to obey you and proclaim your works to those we encounter today with our words, our thoughts, and our actions. Help us to become more aware of what we're teaching to those around us. We want to teach others that you are a good, good God because we have seen your goodness with our own eyes. Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your faithful presence among us today. Father, we thank you for the truth and power of your word. And God, as we leave here this morning, would you enable us, empower us, <laughs> encourage us as we are teachers to live our lives in such a way that brings praise and honor and glory to you and would influence and encourage others to do the same. Thank you, Lord. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, put you together, spirit and soul, body and mind, and make you fit for the coming of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Go in his grace and his strength today. God bless you. You are dismissed. <laughs>